He didn't even sound like this, but I will. <laughs> and now we have here on Fresh Air, <laughs> Vladimir Nabokov, famous author of The Lolitas. I'm drinking the small poisons. <laughs> Can you read a selection from reading Lolita in Tehran in the voice of Vladimir Nabokov? <laughs> Maybe, okay, I think at this point we should actually like okay. do the intro and start talking. So, welcome to the Bowie Book Club. I'm Christiane. I'm Greg. And we have had a book club for about 10 years. Yeah, yeah, about that decade plus mm-hmm. at this point. And uh, for a long time, we read a lot of books, but we very rarely talked about them. We more got drunk and gossiped. Mm-hmm, There's a lot of gossip. Yep. And... At the sad loss of David Bowie last year, we decided to get our act together and read through the 100 most influential books that Bowie had um, listed in no sensible order. In, in fact, in a completely nonsensical order. And as we're reading through, we're making wild speculation about what the books meant to Bowie. And what the books mean? Yeah, kind of. So pretend that you've never heard of Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. Like in a world <laughs> where, where, where Sting and the polices do not exist. <laughs> Which is not how I heard about this book, by the way. <laughs> so where, where did you hear about it? I, I had heard about it because I was an undergrad in literature. So As you do. It's there. It's just there in that way that's like, oh, that book. Ooh, that book. Like, dirty, dirty book. Was it like kind of, um, that's the way it was thought of as like, it's this, it's this sort of pornographic thing? Well, everyone had a, had a complicated response if, if you talked about it. There was an understanding of what the book was about. Yeah. It was about a man with a relationship, in a relationship with an underage girl, like in the most blatant basic terms and then a lot of people could just fake knowledge and say this is outrageous or they could say i'm in the camp of beautiful language and so we should give it a second chance or something so so it's a book that's divided opinion since it came out Mm -hmm. in originally published 1955 in Paris because no one in the United States would publish it. Yeah, I think he says in the afterword he offered it to like four or five different publishers and they all turned yeah. it down for like really like like different reasons. I yeah, guess. and it's kind of I mean, hilarious. I mean, they're all like won't sell. Because he, he talks about people making references to what it meant, Europe debauching young America or young America debauching old Europe. Publisher X whose advisors got so bored with Humpert that they never got beyond page 188, had the naivete to write to me that part two was too long. Publisher Y, on the other hand, regretted that there were no good people in the book. Publisher Z said if he printed Lolita, he and I would go to jail. (laughs) So it was refused um, until it was published in Paris in 1955. And then finally, after its rousing success in Paris was published in United in the United States in 1958. Um, I didn't read it until 2004 or five. So quite late, like after, mm, yeah. after school was out. So, was, you, so you didn't read it when you were in that sort of the, the mix of, of 
of being a lit major. Academia. Yeah. No, it wasn't until I was on, and I'll still, I still have this like indelible image of the Canadian countryside because I read it on a road trip with my partner at the time and we were driving through Saskatchewan like we we crossed over in in like North Dakota or something and went into Saskatchewan and drove over to Banff and we were reading Lolita at the time so these big like Canadian landscapes like these frozen prairies and are always what I think of when I think of of Lolita. And it's interesting because like, like we were talking about before, like the part of the book is a road trip, mm-hmm. you know, w- with them going, we're continuing from, our road trip narrative of America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where they're going from motel to motel. And like he gets in, uh, the narrator, Humbert Humbert, who is a cultured European type gets in some digs about the, the quality of these places. Um, but, but it does. Yeah. It kind of reads like this weird travelogue in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, or, or, and, and I could see why one of the publishers is like, oh, it's a commentary on Europe and America because it is coming like America in the fifties being looked at from the perspective of, um, you know, a a cultured European person who also happens to be a pedophile. (laughs) Yeah. So Humbert Humbert grew up in Switzerland and one of them foreign places (laughs) and with, uh, his father owned a hotel or his family ran a hotel and so it was like this like grand resort kind of beautiful you know escape from common life and and i think like the the premise of the book is that you know at at the hotel over the summer as a child as a child he meets the love of his life and um i, I guess at about the same age that Lolita is, mm-hmm. um, but is, isn't able to consummate the relationship. So psychiatrists would say his development is frozen in that time because his love dies and he is now forever trapped in this cage of only finding the erotic in the very young uh, visage of a young woman. Very particular age group, yeah. very particular type of girl. Between, what is it, 9 and 14? Age 9 and 14, I think he says. And, and what's, what's, well, what's weird about it is when I first read the book, I was, I think, well, I'll, I'll look up whenever the, the police song Don't Stand So Close to Me came out because that's Cause when I read it. I've got to read that book. <laughs> yeah, well, because my, my um, I was probably in third or fourth grade and my, and my best friend at the time, like had older brothers who were like punk rockers. And like, I totally was like, Oh my God, these guys are so great. Okay. But your response to, to it is like, I'm going to go read a book. Yeah. Well, he mentions, I'm like, who's this Nabokov fellow? And one of the older brothers was like, he wrote this book, Lolita. You sh- uh, and I, I've got a copy of it. Ooh. Like behind this in, in a sock drawer. In a, in a brown paper bag. In wrapped inside another brown paper bag. <laughs> And so I was like, I'm totally going to read it. And I read it and I'm realizing now, like when I read it then, you know, I I didn't absorb or understand much of it because I was the same age as Lolita at that, at that point. Mm. And and now reading it again from the perspective of someone who's actually older than Humbert Humbert, I just outed myself as being. You've outed yourself as old before. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) My entire existence outs me as being old. We have like posed ourselves against the tweens in this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely not in that camp. 
and, and it's almost seven, so we're gonna have to wrap up this podcast recording. I need to go to the early early bird special and then go to bed. <laughs> Jeopardy's almost on. <laughs> but it, it's weird reading it again from the perspective of an adult and being totally grossed out, mm-hmm. like just totally like not not being able to get beyond that. Which is great because my perspective is kind of the opposite now. When I first read it, I was, I don't know, I was 23 or 24 or something like that. So I was neither here nor there in the age range of these characters. I wasn't 12 or, how old is Humper? Like 40? He's, yeah, I think he mentions that he's 40. Yeah. And, and, and in the context of also saying that um, he's 40 and well-preserved and he has beautiful, dark European Oh yeah, looks. he's gorgeous, by yeah, the way. <laughs> yeah. Or at least in his own estimation he is. And yeah, I read it with a lot of trepidation that I was going to hate him, that I was going to hate everything about it, that it's a pedophilia advocacy book, <laughs> like it's like the training manual or something. Right, right, right. <laughs> Nambla's and, essential reading. <laughs> and and maybe some maybe some readers do look at it that way. I mean, or look at it from a similar perspective. Maybe not exactly that, but. Because he's this cultured European gentleman who takes a teaching job in upstate New York and he goes for the summer to board at the house of a woman who has been recommended to him because the house he was really originally going to stay in burned down anyway. Uh, <laughs> what, what does that say? <laughs> um, dastard. Um, <laughs> He's going to write his book over the summer. Instead, a young nymphette, which is his term for the type of sexually arousing young girl, um, is living in this house and he's completely distracted, completely besotted by this girl. He becomes obsessed with her attention. He ends up marrying her mom so that he can... Who he detests. Yeah, he thinks is just an imbecile. And partly for the reason to get closer to Lolita, which is his name for the young girl Dolores. Right. Who is a a very ordinary. Yeah. Young girl besotted with movie stars and musicians and like star magazines. Um, Long story short, he becomes the guardian of Lolita. Through various nefarious acts. Yeah. Or accidents. And then enter the relationship that he sort of romanticizes as a relationship. And the young 12-year-old, then 13-year-old, then 14-year-old simply views as a really complicated relationship with her guardian. Which which he... uh, and, And this is one of the... The things that comes out in the, you know, over the course of the sort of travelogue is even with his sort of delusion about what the relationship is, it still kind of creeps through how, how much she doesn't want this and how trapped she is by it and how she wants to be an ordinary kid. And how he and, recognizes but, that he has put her in this position and yet he can't help it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and while he, yeah, he recognizes that he's destroying her life and, and taking her away from being, being a child, he still can't, he can't stop himself. Um, 
So what's complicated is that the first time I read it, I read it with that trepidation of knowing how disgusting everything is. And then when I started this time, I knew we were going to do this. I was really resistant to it. I knew we we're going to do this. We're going to read Lolita. Even when I went and bought the book, um, when I was in Minnesota, I went to Majors and Quinn, which is, um, I can't remember which neighborhood. I'm sorry. I took a lot of drives around Minnesota and saw some awesome bookstores. Uh, listeners, please uh, tweet Christiane, <laughs> <laughs> correcting her. What's the neighborhood? Um, but it was a really awesome bookstore. And the woman who was um, helping me said, mm, yeah, I haven't read this for, uh, for that same was, way. She was, like She was probably in her early 20s like I was the first time I read it. And it's that hesitation of like, I know this she's is like, gross. Oh, gross. Yeah. yeah. And I, I gave her the same like, yeah, I know. I kind of don't want to be. Like, she's like, look, I got this podcast. And she's like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we get it. Here's a brown paper bag for your book. Here, put it within another brown paper bag. Make sure to put it in your sock drawer. <laughs> um, but the terrible confession that I had when Greg and I started reading the book is that I loved it. Um, and this will be the last episode of the Bowie Book Club podcast. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Was was it just the language? Was it just the, the, no. the construction? It's the construction. It's that like the very reason why it sits so heavy, I think, in in our minds and like psyche is that it's so precisely constructed. You don't like the guy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't sympathize with him. But you don't dislike him you don't like lolita but you don't dislike her like it's so it's so tricky it's what i said like it's this russian doll of manipulation yeah yeah like this whole stack of of like uh, oh wait he's kind of sympathetic no he's not sympathetic he's a monster yeah, and then right, right. well she's kind of not sympathetic but wait she's being like totally tormented by this horrible man and like you feel really conflicted and it's because it's so tightly constructed. And, and one, yeah, one of the things that, that um, I, I thought about while reading it because it was really, I was kind of hate reading it. Like this really <laughs> grosses me out. Like, like this just doesn't feel right. But yet I was still continuing because I wanted to, because when I first read it, you know, I, I didn't really retain any of it. So it was like reading it again and I want to see what happened. You know, I want to see how it ended up and I want, and I was kind of like in the labyrinth, you know, and, and of that he constructed, um, that's a call ahead, <laughs> but it was, you know, like the, the book was guiding me, you know, towards the inevitable conclusion. And I, and I, I followed it even though I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, and, and that does say something about the construction of it. I mean, I've stopped reading books before, because totally they like, have like in in book club like we 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 stopped reading um gravity's rainbow gravity's rainbow because like underage yeah, yeah. sexualization and and done in a much like kind of offhand casual way yeah i mean i can think of a couple books off the top of my head i mean gravity's rainbow and um there was a tom robbins book um and even Ada or Ardor, which I read just after Lolita, um, the first time I read Lolita in like 2004, I've stopped all of those because it felt like sexualization of a minor in a way 
that wasn't as self-aware. So like Humbert, Humbert, the main character or the narrator in Lolita spends all this time grappling with his monstrosity and her role and his role. And like, it's very on the table the whole time where with um, Pynchon and Gravity's Rainbow, it felt like he had some kind of casual comment about like, yeah, she's 13, but she's much more advanced than you would think she is. Right, it's just this throwaway thing, which is like, ah, dude, come on. Like pedophilia isn't, as we learned recently in the news with some current events. (laughs) Oh, geez, yeah. (laughs) The Breitbart guy um, who will not be spoken of. Um, he will not. He who will not be named. There's there's a line like pedophilia is a big hard line in the sand. Right, right. Don't like the we we people will put up with racism and sexism and homophobia or whatever. Yeah, but but, but when we no. we draw the line because it's someone who doesn't have any real advocacy for themselves. So that's what's funny about Lolita is that it's. In a way, it's I. I'm gonna sound like an apologist, aren't I? Like it's not an advocacy for pedophilia. It's an exploration of the torment of it for I, both people. And I think, I think, yeah, I think what makes the book, um, what makes it work is that it's it's willing to, to in a very you know beautifully technically constructed way explore the sort of complications of, of of that kind of relationship in, in a way that doesn't absolve the, you know, doesn't make any character into a hero particularly, um, you know, cause it, there's no, there's no one rushing in to save Lolita either. Like there's no hero in that sense. And I could see why publishers like this won't sell. There's no, <laughs> we're all going to go to jail. Yeah. If you... <laughs> and, and, and it's weird. Like there, I guess like the, the parallel I kept thinking of was the Sopranos, which mm. has, an equally reprehensible main character and in a very deliberate way makes you love him and then ratchets up the terrible things he does in a very manipulative way. And that's how, how long I, will you stick with me? Totally. And that, that's what it felt like the whole book of like, I'm careening through this labyrinth going like, God, why can't this end? And, and being t- you know kind of pushed in one direction or another and feeling kind of manipulated in a way. The Russian nesting dolls of manipulation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I, I guess all literature, you know, attempts to do that because it's trying to evoke an emotional response. Otherwise, from, you forget the book. Yeah. Or, uh, Does it like, oh, rouse okay, this no, kind no of passion yeah. decades after it was published? Right, yeah. Like around the time, like, you know, I read Lolita, I read a bunch of things about various halflings or whatever. <laughs> none of them have stuck with me. Yeah, there's there's this, I remember we were chatting about this um, when something is so well constructed and aesthetic, we stick with it. And part of it is because we yeah, whether assume, we like it or not. Yeah, we assume like, well, it's not the the creators, the author, or the filmmaker, or whoever it is. It's not their belief. But then again, like actually, something that struck me about Lolita this time that didn't strike me the first time I read it was, if I was to take away. Lolita's age from this. It's just kind of misogynistic nonsense too. Like the whole time the narrator is 
really an ass yeah, about like women. Every every relationship he has with a woman, like his first wife is a, um, you know, he, the way he talks about her, she's an she's imbecile. She's a child. Yeah, she's, yep, she's a child. Like, But not in the good way. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's someone that he's putting up with because she's close enough to a child. Yeah. And, and so it's, every, yeah, they, it's just this, if you take away the, the, the actual age of Lolita in any of these scenes and just look at him as like, I put up with this bullshit because I get what I want out of it. Right, and so, so he's like a men's rights activist, like <laughs> someone who's like really into like, what's that thing, the game where you like you use special techniques to like get people to sleep with you or whatever like uh, i don't know greg what, what's that game uh i don't i i'm not advocating for it's actually really <laughs> disgusting it's like it, it was this very popular thing a few years ago about like here's the techniques you use to get girls to like sleep with you essentially really yeah super gross did nabokov write that yeah actually yeah he wrote several of those guidebooks po- posthumously <laughs> <laughs> like goes written by Vladimir Nabokov, the game, how to pick up women. And slight, <laughs> like, I, I think that all, like a lot of the male characters in the book are despicable for their misogyny. Yeah. There's, there's a character near the end of the book who is much less apologetic pedophile who and, ends uh, up having a dastardly ending to his that, life. It takes a surprisingly long time. Yeah, it's kind of, it's its own fetish, I guess. It may, maybe so. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of exploration of just kind of disgusting perspectives of what other people's uh, function is in your life. Right, right. Yeah. And how you can use like, them. Yeah, I think the, you know, maybe the there's just, the story is really about manipulation, you know, and it, it you just happened to pick the a very particular, um, and maybe a very like sort of American sort of path of manipulation. Um, I guess one of the things that we found, like while you know, like poking around and doing research, is that there was potentially like a real life case that this was a based on. Yeah. And there's yeah. a couple that would fit. Yeah. I, um, interestingly, after my road trip through Canada, etc., I landed at, or maybe it was a year or so later, landed at a friend's house. They, um, my friends, Adam and Sandra had bought this house kind of recently and it was an old house. And it, as is the way of old houses, Newspaper was used in weird ways in like wall construction. Oh. Okay, I'm glad you finished that with wall construction. I'm like, what goes? <laughs> what's going on in that house? Like, I don't know if it was like in in like an attic space or something, and like newspaper was used as some kind of lining. But there was a lot of like old newspaper pieces that they found, and and one that stuck out really prominently. And when I contacted my friends, Adam and Sandra, just recently and asked, like, hey, do I remember this correctly, that you found this article? They still had it. Like, they had it, and they had it on hand. Like, it was interesting enough to just, like, hold on to. It was from and, this... And, like, scary enough to hold on oh, to. Oh, yeah. Jeez. And when Adam um, found it and sent it to me, his note was, it was worse than we both remembered. 
Because I had asked, like, wasn't there some kind of strange Lolita-esque story that you found in your wall when you were doing construction? And it was from the Seattle Star in 1935. So this is a couple decades before uh, Lolita was published. And the headline is, Was Girl of Six in Love or Kidnapped? There, that, that's slowly up and down. I mean, it was well, much okay. more extreme than that. It was a man, I think he was 36 years old. And the girl was six years old. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. And so he took her from her parents. He was rooming in their house, as Humbert Humbert was with... Um, the uh, mom and the Hayes, and Hayes woman, yeah. as he calls her, <laughs> the Hayes woman and Lolita. And um, the six-year-old girl said she loved him. And when he left, she wanted to go with him. And so he left and took her with him. And she was six years old. And he waited six years and then married her. And, and creepily enough, that's a thing that can still happen in some places. Yeah, which is the unfortunate part. So she was like 12 when he married her. And there's still states where you can marry a girl at age 12. Woof. Yeah. And which, I mean, I had, when I was in Minnesota, I was staying at my friend Amber's house and she had a copy of Reading Lolita in Tehran which I picked up because, because. <laughs> because, because narrativism. <laughs> and um, it actually is not about Lolita so much as about the chaos of everything that happened in Iran in the 80s and 90s. Um, but the author, um, Azar Nafisi, is a literature teacher in Tehran during the time, and she, one of the books she teaches is Lolita, among uh, others, Henry James and... The Great Gatsby. And it's stuff. another call ahead, Herzog by Saul Bell. Oh, yes. She talks a lot about Herzog, which is our next book, right. which is interesting that she references that a lot. Um, but yeah, for Nafisi, she says this is really uh, salient points that are made in this book, Lolita, because here in the Iranian Republic of Iran... Um, <laughs> Republic of Iran. Or the... the the Iranian Republic. <laughs> United American States of America. <laughs> the United American States. <laughs> um, it was very common for underage girls to be married to older men because it was a way for men to confirm that they had virgins. Like like their own gross sort of... Yeah. Mm. And Nafisi says at some point like this, that Lolita is a story of a 12-year-old girl who is trapped, that... Humbert engulfs her whole life. And it's the story of what she says, quote, the confiscation of one individual's life by another. And in an interview about Lolita, uh, I heard on NPR, she was saying, um, because the girl's name is not Lolita. It was never Lolita. Her name is Dolores. He gives her the name Lolita, and he's the one who gets to call her and name her and, and, and define her. And that her name is actually Dolores, which is um, sadness, like Latin for sadness and sorrow and anguish. Wow. And and he's kind of taking, he's ex, and, and we talked about this 
before too of, of it being he's exercising this power over her that he has as as a man where he can overwhelm her life and engulf her and change her identity and make her a different person because he has that power yeah um and again like you said if you take the age away you know that that misogyny is still there that that sort of imbalance of power where the only way that she can get away is by through the I guess through the actions of another man. Yeah, another older man. Yeah, she yeah. she runs away with another older man. So and and she, like in a, in a lot of ways, attempts to assert her agency as an individual. But only by using what she thinks she has, which is her yeah. youthful sexuality. Yeah. 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 So Bowie, why? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I I mean, we Bowie does have a thing for creepy. Books. We, we we established that with like the was a sailor fell from grace, um, and 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 sort of like in a parallel too. Like there are some scenes in this book where the narrator did sound a bit like uh, the our friend from Confederacy of Dunces, just in the overblown like self, you know, self pitying, self aggrandizing, and yeah, self pitying, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean. He has a thing for really complicated, troubling narratives. I mean, even our very first book for the Bowie Book Club podcast, The Clockwork Orange. Yeah. I mean, that's this complicated man against society, or are they just like juvenile delinquents? Like, what's what's the true, what's the true feeling you should have about these? And and so there's some part like, do you just love the language, or I mean, he had his own complicated... I don't want to get too much into, like, the Laurie Maddox controversies of of groupies and sex and popularity as a rock star. Um, well, that, that was something that was sort of, like, in the air as a rock star in the 70s. Like, there were, you know, lots of... Um, there was the, you know, there's a controversial... Um, blind faith record that had like a underage like a you know a pubescent girl on the cover yeah um you know that eric clapton's band like jimmy page ended up you know getting in uh getting in trouble for for sleeping with an underage woman i think someone from the rolling stones did all those gross um, i guess i don't want to single out the english dudes but like it was um but that was part of part of the whole I think at the time yeah well, that, that's just in the uh, I'm not justifying it either but in Miss Spitz biography the David Bowie biography I remember reading um some woman Cynthia McCradu I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right um was talking about you know visiting Bowie and in his life in London, he was one monster of like domesticity and, and art and creation and kind of this hippie household. And then in his tour in the States, it was like this whole other like, monster. It was all like cocaine Bowie. Yeah, with like these big groupie scenes. And, and she, she um, in the, in the quote uh, interview in Spitz's biography, she says, I'm with David at a table talking and we danced and suddenly this little girl comes and she pushes me off the chair and she says, I'm going to be with him now. You've already had your time with him. And I go, who the hell are you? And what the hell are you doing? 
you need to put your clothes on. That was my introduction to Queenie and Sable and Lori, little girls, 12, 13, and 14 years old. And so she has this whole narrative of like, these were groupies. These were girls who were just throwing themselves at a rock star and the rock stars were, you know, cannibalized. They were all just sexual monsters that were just being eaten up by their fans. And, um, but it's, it's, it's again, it's a complicated, um, power dynamic that's at play there too. And I I think like in the, the interview that we talked about, um, Oh yeah. The, with Kay Rush. So where, so where was this interview from? It was, it was some, I don't know what music's, uh, I don't know what she worked for at the time, but the journalist's name was Kay Rush. And it was something like video channel. Yeah. It was some like video music channel. And uh, she was... Serving the upper New York state area. (laughs) (laughs) Sexy voice. (laughs) And she was interviewing David Bowie about new album, um, Never Let Me Down, which didn't really get a lot of attention. (laughs) And and at one point, so, so it's kind of ironic and disgusting that David Bowie, who at this time, I think he's just turned 50 and k rush is like 28 or something um and he's making comments about like oh you're so intelligent and just so beautiful totally hitting on her in a creepy i mean not as creepy as like like the game pickup artist kind of thing but (laughs) creepy yeah just like you know you're like being recorded right now right (laughs) you're intelligent and beautiful I mean, it, 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 that would have worked on me, probably. <laughs> uh, but at some point, K. Rush says, uh, she's, she starts talking about this song, Beat of Your Drum. And David Bowie says, oh, yeah, that's kind of a Lolita-esque song. And she says, oh, yeah, Nabokov. I wondered if this would come up. And then she says, quote, isn't that what Labyrinth was a bit about? Sort of like a fairy tale Lolita and Bowie responds, I think that was what Jim Henson had in mind. It was certainly in my mind whilst we were making it. I thought it was probably a plausible subtext to the whole thing he was doing. Wait. <laughs> so, okay. I've, I have to admit, I've, I've never seen Labyrinth. Like, have, have you seen it? Wait. Never? No. Like, never? I make it a policy never to watch movies with puppets in it. You've never watched Labyrinth? No. I don't know if we can talk anymore. Oh, boy. This really is the last episode of the the Boy Book Club. (laughs) I first watched Labyrinth when I was in, like, fifth grade. I was so in love. But see, that's it. It's disgusting. Ah, I was totally in love with David Bowie when I was in fifth grade. Was he all, like, like looking down at you from the movie screen, like, all, like, you're beautiful and intelligent? (laughs) But yeah, when I watched it recently, it's creepy. Is it in a Lolita way? Yeah. Oh. He says at the end of the movie, he's he's doing this like, just serve me, obey me, and I'll give you the world. Hello, oh. Humbert Humbert. 
So <laughs> Bowie, Bowie. my speculation, my wild speculation is that David Bowie loved Lolita because it was his research book when he was making Labyrinth. That, <laughs> that he knew he was going to make Labyrinth, an idea that had not fully formed in Jim Henson's head. <laughs> until the <laughs> 80s but he read it in the 60s or whatever he's like I'll be ready when I'll, it comes I'll, I'll need this someday I'm going to file this away we don't know when he read it that's true yeah maybe he was like you and he's like you know I don't think I'm ready for this I'm going to put this off until I'm about 50 and then I'll make that movie that's kind of a creepy Lolita-esque movie and have that song that's kind of a creepy Lolita-esque song and then I'll read it that Makes perfect sense. I think that, that, you know, the timeline fits. I believe we have all the circumstantial elements Done. we need. Done. Solved. Yep. Mm. Yep. So, okay, I guess we can end the podcast. <laughs> I mean, entirely, because like, we're not talking to each other anymore. <laughs> Can't believe you never saw that. There, There's so many movies I've never seen. All right. Well, you don't, like, Jeopardy's going to be done, so let's go watch it now. Okay. That, so- that sounds good. Um <laughs> Well, before we go, we, we have some uh, business to clean up. What, what are we reading next? Oh, so next, interestingly, because Azar Nafisi talked about it almost as much as she talked about Lolita, um, our next book is uh, Saul Bellow's Herzog. Which, uh, another book that I read much, much younger than I should have, and is basically like reading it again, brand new now, because my young brain didn't retain any of it. And I haven't read it at all. Another one of those books that Greg read when he was in diapers and I still haven't read. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to uh, speak out of school, but <laughs> uh, read when he was in diapers could have applied to Lolita as well. Because <laughs> I'm old. Uh, I'll cut that out. That's sorry. That's terrible. And for our next episode, we have a special guest who will be joining us. Should we say? Or can it be a secret? Yeah, maybe we'll leave it as a secret. Okay. Uh, you could say he's a brilliant musician um, and, they, an and a author. brilliant author. Yeah, a brilliant mm-hmm. author. Uh, With a recent book. Intelligent and beautiful. <laughs> he's intelligent and beautiful. So, so we'll reveal who he is sometime <laughs> in the next month. Um, but you won't find out unless you follow us on Twitter at Bowie Book Pod at. Um, Follow us on Facebook at Bowie Book Club Podcast. and Or find us on the website, bowiebookclub.com. Indeed. And please rate and review us on iTunes. On the iTunes. I command it. <laughs> whatever, whatever or else you won't do. get any lollipops and jawbreakers for our road trip. And that's... Yeah. You just have to like manipulate the young. Anyway. Now you've ruined candy for me. Ew. This is really this is really the last episode. <laughs> I think we're done. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna end this on uh, uh, the song that we mentioned before, uh, "Beat of Your Drum." Yeah, which was a very obvious choice because Bowie himself called it a very Lolita esque yeah, so song. Kind of got to do it. <laughs> so uh, for how do we end this? Until next time, <laughs> I've been Christian. And I've been Vladimir Nabokov. <laughs> I've been Vladimir. No, I won't do that. I've been Greg. <laughs> and this is the Boy Book Club. Bye. Bye.
We can't do Russian accents. No, we can't do any accents. (laughs) They're just technically bad. (laughs) Appropriate or not, they're just not good. They're just bad.